0: We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11 tonight, if you want to find your place there, 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to jump back uh, to chapter 1 and look at a little bit there. Uh, But this is a message that is very dear to me, and I grew up, uh, my dad was a first-generation Christian, And he was 23 years old before he ever heard the gospel. He was actually in a rock band called Satan Splendor. And he walked into a church because him and my mother uh, were separated. Mom lived in Illinois. Dad lived in Oklahoma with one of his brothers. And they had actually run away when mom was 16 to get married. And uh, just a real rough start there. But that's what life does when you don't have the Lord. And uh, so they had been separated. Mom had gotten saved. And for some reason, dad agreed to go watch her get baptized in Illinois. And while uh, there, the Lord really started working on him. And uh, he ended up getting saved and uh, brought him and mom back together. And now there are six of us children And dad is traveling, full-time preaching. I'm pastoring in Iowa. I've got a brother in Florence, Alabama, a brother on staff in Arkansas, a sister who her and her husband run a a bus route at their church, and then a sister who her and her husband are uh, putting Bible printing presses in different countries around the world. So it's been amazing to watch what God has done. But I say that to say this, there's something also about a second generation Christian. And very seldomly, for some reason, do we find a second-generation Christian with the same determination and the same focus on serving the Lord is what we find in the first generation. And I don't think that should be the case. And so I want to look at that subject tonight, second-generation Christians. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse number 1, But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them; neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned his uh, turned away his heart. For it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. And for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burn incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Lord, we are privileged to be able to hold your word in our hands. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we're asking for you to do a work. You know that um, this is a subject that is dear to me and... Uh, even a subject that I've had to deal with personally and had to come to the, um, the focus and the sacrifice and the, uh, the determination to be completely sold out to you. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us tonight, give liberty. Be with Brother Gaddis as he's preaching tonight, even perhaps now, standing proclaiming your word. We pray that your hand will be upon him. And in your name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you very much for the standing. How many here would put yourself in that category of second generation Christian and or third or fourth for those counting, but you were raised with, go ahead and keep them up. It's okay. It's Wednesday night and we're Baptist. It's okay. Second generation Christians. What a privilege that is. You can put them down. Thank you. To be a second generation Christian is to be raised in a home with Christian parents who teach you the importance of God's word and who take you to church regularly and who take you or who teach you the importance of living that separated life away from sin and focused on God and second generation Christian does not mean you had perfect parents it doesn't mean that they were without fault it doesn't mean they were without failure and it doesn't mean that they're without regret even now as each of us as we raise our children we learn as we go and there are things that we would do differently and things that maybe we would handle differently but it's still a joy to be raised by Christian parents and those who love the Lord. Solomon was a second generation Christian and his father David was not a perfect man. In fact, you ask a lot of people what they know about David, and the first thing they go to are not the high points, but perhaps the lows. Maybe they'll talk about David and Goliath as a young man, but perhaps they go to those moments that he wished he could take back, those moments that drove him to his knees or the moments of things that he would certainly do differently. Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. He desired God. He wanted what was right and how each of us probably have understood even in our own lives how we can desire what is right and still give in to the flesh. We can desire what is good and still fall and and still have our mistakes and certainly David did have his. But Solomon was raised by David who we certainly admire and look up to and David taught Solomon the things of God. Solomon saw the Lord do some pretty amazing things because of his father David. I want to really just maybe as an introduction, I want us to go back to chapter number one of 1 Kings, and we actually see the privilege of Solomon. Solomon was privileged because of the home that he was brought up in. There were many blessings that came because his father was David. In fact, all the way in chapter number one, if we look at Let's look at verse number 28. We actually notice there's a privilege in, in the position that he had. First Kings chapter one and verse 28, it said, Then King David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. And she came unto the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore and said, As the Lord liveth, that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me. And he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence of the king and, and said, let my Lord King David live forever. Verse 32, and King David said, call me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. The king also said unto them, take with you the servants of your Lord and call Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel. Now blow you with trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Then shall ye come up after him that he may come and sit upon my throne for he shall be king in my stead. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Look at verse number 38. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule. And brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took an horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Now we understand that this didn't happen to all of da- King David's sons, but Solomon was in this position because of who his father was. I mean, there was a privilege that came with being the king's son. As this becomes the opportunity and it becomes before him, and, and so we notice this position. If we're going to think about how, how good did Solomon have it because of the family he was in? I mean, that's really what we're talking tonight is what, what are the privileges, what are the joys of, of being in this family, being taught these things? Being taught these truths. And so we notice there's a privilege in his position. But I also want you to notice that because of the home he was in, he was privileged in his preparation. Look, if you would, in chapter number two in First in, uh, Kings and verse number one, it says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man and keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes. And his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself, that the Lord may continue his word, which he spake concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man of the throne of Israel. A lost man doesn't give that advice. A lost man doesn't say to keep the charge of the Lord thy God, walk in his ways and keep his statutes and follow his commandments. That's not the advice of a lost man. My wife wasn't raised or wasn't saved till she was 17, 18 years old, not raised in a Christian home. The advice that was given to her by her parents was not follow the Lord thy God with all their heart. She wasn't advised to follow his commandments and his statutes. And no matter what life brings you, keep your focus on God. What a privilege to be given the preparation for life that comes from being in a Christian home. To have the, the, and I use the word privilege because I think it is a privilege. Do we think about the position that he had? We think about the preparation for life These lessons by his parents, the lessons by his father that only came because he was a man who sought the Lord, not a perfect man, but one who loved God, not only in his preparation, but look at his prosperity. Chapter number two and verse number 12 says, then set Solomon upon the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. Now, if you remember uh, what the Bible tells us about David, it says that, remember, he was not able to build the temple and the Bible says he was a man of war. But all of that was set up so that Solomon, so that we can have chapter two, verse 12. It was established greatly and there were privileges, there were blessings that came. We'll call it blessings that came because of the privilege of being in this home. So you have this position, he's now king, you have the preparation for life, the counsel that he was able to receive because his parents loved the Lord, and now you see as he is given this great opportunity and the privilege, the prosperity, the blessing that is there, but then we see a part of Solomon that we probably all remember, and that's his plea. Chapter number three, as we keep turning through, chapter number three and verse number five. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared unto Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, you remember this, ask what I shall give thee. Look what he says in verse number nine. Solomon says, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. That I may discern between good and bad for who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing and you know how God blessed him with so much more. Here's my question to you. How did Solomon know to ask for that? I mean, how, what was the preparation that Solomon had that said if given the chance and as I'm in this great, this great position as the king and the responsibility that is there that I know if I need one thing I need to be able to discern between right and right and wrong, as there's this heavy responsibility of leading these people, where did, that, where did that thought come from? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. It actually is in First Chronicles chapter number 22. If you just want to listen, in verse number 7, it says, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. He says, of course, but the word of the Lord came to me saying he wouldn't, but his son would. And if, as we jump down to verse uh, number, uh, verse 10, he says, he shall build a house for my name and he shall build my son. I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, Israel forever. He says this, verse 11, now, my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper thou and build the house of the Lord thy God as he hath said unto thee, only, here's the advice of his father, the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel. It was his father who said, you're gonna need wisdom and understanding. It was because of the counsel that was given him that when the opportunity came, he said, I know what I need. I remember my father telling me that I would need wisdom and understanding. And now as God has come to him and said, ask what I shall give you, he relies on what it was that his parents told him. And he said, I need wisdom and understanding. This wasn't because Solomon just had it together now and just by chance he said wisdom. He had a great opportunity in the home that he was raised in. He was given some great counsel, some great instruction, and now he's in a place that he uses that and the Lord blesses. What a great, what a great picture we have here in really the first part of Solomon's reign. He has everything that he needs. He's in a great position and he's prepared for life and everything is wonderful. Solomon is privileged because of where he came from. He's the son of David. His father was the king. Without doubt, he's blessed. But then we come to our text. And now we don't see the privilege of Solomon, but now we see the problem of Solomon. Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 11, the problem of Solomon, how does it, and this is the question. How does someone raised with such opportunity end up so far from God? How does someone with, with all the instruction and, and all of these opportunities and really just set to live a life that is pleasing to God and live in the blessings of God and, and just live in that protection that God gives. How does somebody have that opportunity but end up messing up so bad? And I wish I could say that my life didn't have those moments. We come to chapter 11 and we're actually told how this happens. In verse number one and two, here's how, here's how this happens. How does it go from being, having this opportunity to such a mess? Number one, the warnings are ignored. The warnings are ignored. Look what he says with me in verse number, verse number one. He says, King Solomon loved these, all these wives. Verse two, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto him, unto the children of Israel, here's the warning, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come unto you. Why? Why? For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon heard this his entire life. The warnings were given. They were laid out to him. And in the Christian life, let me just say, being raised as a second generation Christian, there are plenty of warnings. I mean, it's all we hear. Don't listen to this kind of music and don't go to this kind of place and don't have these type of friends and don't get your focus off of God and don't forget to read your Bible and don't forget to tell other people about Jesus and and all of these things, they are warnings that are given to us and if we're not careful, we will start ignoring the warnings. Here's the difference with first generation Christian. A first generation Christian reaches a point where they hear about the gospel and they decide to turn completely and trust the Lord. Amen. You, and some may, some may dispute this and that's okay. But for a first generation Christian, it seems like the, mo- the decision to trust the Lord for salvation is also the time that they fully commit to serving the Lord. That seems to be the same moment. But for a lot of second-generation Christian, that doesn't happen at the same time. Yeah. There's a decision in life for, to trust the Lord for salvation, and I believe it is real. I'm certainly not questioning that, but it seems like there is a time later in life, maybe at a youth camp, maybe a church service, where they decide, I am fully committed to God. And the problem with a lot of second generation Christian is they've reached that first point, that moment of salvation. And they're trusting the Lord for salvation and they're relying on him, but they've not decided yet to make him your God. To be fully committed to him, to be fully in love with him. Because let's face it, we don't have a lot we have to change. We're already listening to the right music. We're already going to church. We're already going to Sunday school. We're already looking like Christians. We're already doing all of this. So what is the big commitment? I mean, I understand, and don't misunderstand this. I'm talking about, if I could from my heart tonight, as a second generation Christian, We must reach a point where we are sold out to God. We must reach a point that it's not just a matter of I've heard these rules and I live this life and I come to this church and yes I agree and everything is whatever but where is the fire that that first generation had? Where is that determination to be all in and to be fully committed to be whatever God wants me to be and not care what the friends think about it and not care what society thinks about it, but to jump in and make this our life? Amen. Where is that in our second generation? I wonder how many here, second generation Christians, you're trusting the Lord for salvation and you're going through the routine. But you don't have that fire. That burden within to please the Lord. We see the problem, the warnings were ignored. If you, if you want to take this opportunity you have and you want to throw it all away, just start ignoring the warnings. That was the first thing Solomon did. Ignore the warnings. Second thing he did was this, he let his guard down. You know what happens? We think the warnings are not for us. Other people, if other people give in to this, it'll destroy their lives, but I can play the game. If other people let the world and and let the flesh get a hold and, and they start ignoring the warnings, other people, their lives are destroyed, but I'll be just fine. Solomon not only ignored the warnings, but he let his guard down. Look what happened in verse number three, or verse number four, he says, for it came to pass when Solomon was old, I want you to think about that statement. He wasn't old when he married him. But as he got old, he let his guard down. Look what what happens in verse number four. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. What was the warning? Your heart will be turned to other gods. Don't do this. Your heart will be turned to other gods. So the warnings were ignored. And then he let his guard down. And he's saying, maybe this won't happen to me. Go back. Here's what's amazing. Go back to chapter number eight with me, if you would. And, and we'll get, we're certainly making progress here. For chapter eight, verse number 54. This is Solomon. The same one that we're reading about in chapter 11, whose heart is being turned away from God. In chapter number eight, and verse number 54, it says this. And it was so... That when Solomon had made an end of praying, I mean, what a wonderful moment this passage of scripture is. And and he made an end of praying and all his prayer and supplication unto the Lord He arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, this is Solomon. He's on his knees, hands to the Lord. I mean, the Lord just showed himself mighty. He's seen God once again. Verse number 56, he says, blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. For there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant, Lord our God be with us as He was with our fathers. Let Him not leave us nor forsake us that He may incline our hearts unto Him to walk in all His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments when He commanded our fathers and let let these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night that He maintain the cause of His servant and the cause of His people Israel at all times as the matter shall require, verse 60, that all the people of the earth may know Pay attention to what he's about to say. That the Lord is God and there is none else. This is chapter 8. Chapter 11, his heart is being turned to other gods. Verse number 61, look what he says. Here's, Here's Solomon's counsel. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes. I wonder where he heard this. And to keep his commandments as at this day. I mean, he's doing so well. I mean, here he is telling them, keep your heart perfect. There is only one God and it is the Lord God. And how you and I, second generation Christians, were brought up in it and we know it in age 7, eight, nine, 10. We're saying the same thing. He is God and he's the only God and we don't even question it. And then some reason we reach a point, for me it was 16, 17, 18, 19, where all of a sudden we start ignoring the warnings, we let our guard down, and we find ourselves in the same position Solomon is in. Verse number 61, he says, keep your heart perfect. Back to chapter number 11. Look what he says in verse 4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Notice this. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. Very same thing he just mentioned. Verse 6, Solomon did evil. Solomon did evil. I wonder how he got to that point. Start ignoring warnings. You let your guard down. And now it's not the company that you're hanging around. Now it's you. Now you're the one when you get in the car turning on the music. Now you're the one the words are coming out of your mouth. Now you're the one the thoughts are in your mind. Everybody with me on this? I mean, second generation Christians, hands went up all over the place. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I lived it. I mean, boy, eight, nine, ten, all we know is love God. I have I have trophies, I mean, I don't know where they are now, but I have won ribbons for, for having the most Bible verses memorized. But that means nothing if your heart is not on God. Nothing. I've had preachers come through and talk about how good the preacher's kids are and how respectable they are and, and how great it is to see preachers with children who love God, but I knew me. We ignore the warnings. We let the guard down. And now we have to say, I'm in evil. Who would have ever thought, 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever year old, who would have ever thought at 10 years old that you'd be thinking some of the things you think now? Who would have ever thought these words would come out of your mouth? Who would ever thought you'd be the one putting that music on? Who'd ever think you're the one with the earbuds in at night listening and watching when everybody else is asleep. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I mean, Solomon had such an opportunity. Everything was given to him instructions from a young age, the, the safety that comes from David. I mean, he had everything laid out before him and all he did was ignore the warnings and let his guard down and now he himself is an evil. Oh, God help the second, third, fourth generation Christian. We see his situation. We see the problem. Evil actions, what were these evil actions? Well, verse number six, he went not fully after the Lord. That's really a summary, is it not? He went not fully after the Lord. I mean, we were talking a little bit before service of some of the people that we know together and they were first generation Christians and they turned, they went fully after God and my, how God used that generation and used those men We went not fully after the Lord. Verse number seven, next thing is he's building chapels for their gods to be worshiped in. I wonder if Solomon in chapter eight saw this coming. I'm going to guess he didn't. I' mean seeing the God, seeing God show up and have a perfect heart towards God and be what you ought to be in chapter eight. And now in, in chapter 11, He is building chapels for false gods to be worshiped. Making light of the true temple and the true God. What a mockery to say we can worship any God. We'll just let them worship how they want and everything will be just fine. Whatever happened in chapter eight, there is only one true God. We see the problem. And then we see the anger of God. Let me, do not confuse the patience of God With the approval of God. Do not mix those up. Because God is merciful. And God is kind. And just because you're getting away. Or because nothing bad seems to be happening. Does not mean God's okay with it. We see the anger of God in verse number 9. Of chapter 11, and the Lord was angry with Solomon. Of course he was. Because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. Of course God was angry. Let me ask you, second generation Christians, has God ever been angry with you? I'm not asking if you felt it. I'm saying, have you found yourself in this place where you're the one committing evil? Well, you're the one committing sin. Well, you're the one not taking advantage of the opportunity that you have. God was angry. Verse number 10, he continues and said, and it commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. The anger of God. I mean, I think about if I were, have you ever thought if you were in charge? Thankfully for everybody I know, that's not the case. But what do you think God should do here? Solomon's the king of his people. Solomon is the king of God's people and he is building places of worship for false gods. What do you think should happen to him? I'm not sure he should keep that job. I mean, if I'm the one in charge, you're done. You had an opportunity, you had instruction, and you had everything laid out for you, and now you are committing the evil. You are done. God's anger with Solomon. But I want you to notice verse 11. Wherefore, The Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. I knew it. I knew you couldn't be king anymore. You messed up too badly. You made too big of a mistake. You're done. But Don't miss verse number 12. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it. Why? For David thy father's sake. The protection, don't miss this, the protection of a second generation Christian is often because of the faithfulness of their parents. Don't miss this, please, I beg of you. Don't miss this. He goes on in verse number 12, and he says, for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. I'm not going to take verse number 38, 39, 40. We won't read it for time's sake, but he says the same thing, that I'm going to rend it from you. However, not, for, not because of you, but you get to stay in this position because of David your father's sake. You know how long Solomon got to reign? And tell me if this is fair. 40 years. You know how long David reigned? 40 years. Doesn't seem right, does it? Doesn't seem right. So why was this protection on Solomon? I told you earlier that 16, 17, 18, 19 into 20, it's about four and a half years that I wish I could take back in my life. About four and a half years that I find myself in a place that years prior to that, I would have said, there's no way. No way. No way. My wife, when we were engaged, she told me I had to choose between her and alcohol. I would have never thought that everybody with me on this? At age 12, 13, beginning a youth group, I would have never thought this. I would have never placed myself there. The friends, the music, and, and still to this day, if I hear a song or, or something, oh, those thoughts come back and the lyrics come back and you understand the power of music, but I wish I could just take those years and redo them. I remember one particular day I had, due to the addictions, I did not go to church that Sunday. I had fallen asleep, and even through all of this, I was at church every service. I didn't want to disappoint my mom and dad and hurt their testimony. I was at every church service, but there was a lot going on. One particular Sunday morning, I didn't make it to church, and there was a whole bunch of people in my apartment at the time, and we were all sleeping, and I heard a knock on the door and kind of woke up. I looked out the window, and here's my dad, my mom, and my sister. Sunday afternoon, because I wasn't at church coming to see if I'm okay. I remember leaning against the wall. The door was here, and the window was there, and I was leaning against the wall, and there's people everywhere, and stuff everywhere, and they looked in the window and I remember hearing my mom say, are they dead? Not knowing really what was going on. As I stood against the wall, I felt, I saw the door start to open. It wasn't locked. My dad had grabbed the handle and started pushing the door in. And I slammed it closed and locked it and went back against the wall. I didn't know what to do for the copes. I didn't know what to do. I wish I could take those years back. But here's the amazing part. I love the song that was sung, There's Nothing Greater Than Grace. God had every right. He had every right, Brother Aaron to not have a plan for me. He had every right to say you had opportunity. You knew things that if your father would have known, I mean, I knew at age five what my dad never heard till he was 25. What an opportunity. What a privilege and God had every right to look at me and my life and say, I am done. I gave you everything. You learned the the principles of God. You learned the faithfulness of God. You saw me take care of your family. You learned how I forgive. You learned how I am merciful. You learned how I am gracious. You learned how I provide. You learned everything about me and you threw it all away. He had every right to say that. So why didn't he? In our text we have the words for his father's sake for David his father's sake. Without question in my mind God has a plan for me and picked me up for Maury my father's sake. Because I had a mom and dad not perfect but they stayed faithful. Faithful. And they stayed faithful. And when I was the one ignoring the warnings and letting the guard down and finding myself in that place, there was a mom and dad faithfully praying. And little did I know that for my mother and father's sake, there was a protection around me. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I mean, those, the rules, I mean, I just want to, I just want to try things for myself. I just want to, you know, all I hear are these rules and I just want to be out there and I want to try these things and I want to get into these things and I'll be fine. I'll keep going to church and, and I'll be fine. It's just trying it. It's just a little bit, all the lines you can think of. And next thing you know, you're closing the door on your father and locking the door. But for my mother and father's sake. There's two things I would say to second generation Christians. One, tell your parents thank you. Amen. Amen. And two, make sure your children have the same protection you did. Amen. Everybody with me on this? You know, who the, you know who the kingdom got taken from? Solomon's son. You know who Solomon could have protected? Everybody, with, I hope we're all on the same page here. Because when you find yourself here, this is when you say first generation, second generation, third generation, I don't care what number is before it, I owe everything to God. I owe him everything. Let me give you three quick statements about second-generation Christians, and by quick, I mean quick. Baptistically speaking. <laughs> Number one, they are privileged, but often do not appreciate it. That's right. We learn of God early. We're in the presence of godly instruction We're able to have close relationship with godly men and godly ladies. Influences. But we don't appreciate it. I know there are some who do. I, I completely understand that. I'm talking about me. I was in a pretty good place, but really didn't appreciate it. Privileged, but often don't appreciate it they are protected but often abuse it protected through godly parents protected through god's patience protection in the promises of god psalm 37:25 i have been young and now i'm old yet have i not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread You may be in protection, but don't abuse it. Thirdly, they are promoted, but often do not apply it. Here's what I mean by promoted. You know more of God's Word at age 16, 17, 18 than the majority of people in the country will ever know. You have seen God provide you have seen his faithfulness. You have seen his provision. You've seen it. We know it's there. We know, I knew before I ever had got married, before I ever had a job, I knew if you tithe, God blesses you. I knew that. I didn't have to wait and find out and worry about what happened with all the, of God's money I stole prior to that. I didn't have to do that. Why? Because I knew I was raised to know. What a great opportunity. They're promoted, but often don't apply it. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties, but God is faithful. We learn that at a young age. We don't have to learn that later. We can learn it now and we see it now. But what good is it to know God's Word if we don't apply it? What good is it to understand the trials of life if they still get us down and defeated? What good is it to know what God expects of us if we don't apply it in our life and live for Him? So second generation Christian, do not make the mistake of living on the edge because of God's goodness passed down to you from your parents. Because it is your children who will reap what you've sown. Who will provide protection for your children? We ought to stand so that our children can enjoy the blessings of life. We need second generation Christians who will be just as sold out as the first-generation Christian. I'm not much of a singer, but there's a song that says, I missed out on heartaches the world feels every day. And I missed out on a broken home that would steal my joy away. And I missed out on all the things they said I'd miss out on. But somehow I have a heart of faith while their good times are gone. For I've been sheltered by His grace Kept in a safe place Protected by the prayers of those Everybody hear me? Protected by the prayers of those Not perfect parents But loved God That loved God Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed tonight As the instrumentalists come and Brother Aaron comes, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for a moment, I wonder, second-generation Christian, do you appreciate what God's given you? Have you taken that protection and just kind of forgotten that you have parents who perhaps are the one providing you that protection? Oh, that we could be sold out for God. That we could be grateful and thankful. To understand the privilege and the joy that comes from serving the Lord. We're going to be in Hymn 483, I Surrender All. As we all stand this evening as they play and sing, Lord spoke to your heart tonight, maybe you need to come forward tonight with others. And say, I surrender all.